Hi, I'm Donna Liu and you're listening to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute. Just how common are hallucinations and delusions? What is schizophrenia and what predisposes you to getting it? In this week's episode, I sat down with Professor John McGrath, a psychiatrist who researches here at TBI. We talked about marijuana, smoking and vitamin D, all of which are linked to the risk of getting schizophrenia. These days, the words psycho and psychotic are frequently used in common conversation. People call each other psycho as an insult or describe someone as being psychotic with rage. Actress and writer Mindy Kaling once even referred to the psychotic, ambitious side of herself in an interview. But the real meaning of the word psychotic is of course tied up with the neurological experience of psychosis. Here's Professor McGraw. Psychosis is a broad collection of different disorders that involve people losing touch with reality. They can see or hear things that aren't there or have false beliefs out of keeping with their cultural and um, religious backgrounds, etc. To get a diagnosis of a psychotic disorder, you need to have a lot of symptoms and disability over a certain time period, and you need to exclude various conditions as well. Um, So within the the group of disorders like psychosis, the, the main one is schizophrenia. But there are other disorders that have psychotic features like bipolar disorder as well. So these, um, these terms reflect the fact that we're not very sure where the boundaries of psychotic illnesses are. Because we do make the diagnosis based on surface level symptoms. In Australia, about 1 in 100 people develop schizophrenia and it's usually lifelong. It costs the Australian community about $2.6 billion each year in both direct health costs and loss of productivity. It's important to think of the disorder of schizophrenia as a collection of symptoms and signs that continue over time. Ancient physicians used to think that fever was one, was a disease and there was this fever that occurred every three days and there was a fever that occurred every four days. And then people realised, well, wait on, fever is just a non-specific marker of other things and that could be infection and those infections could be bacterial or viral. Fevers can be associated with toxins, with autoimmune diseases. So science and medicine was eventually able to pull that one apart based on the surface level symptoms. Unfortunately, the brain is such a complex organ, we're not really good at pulling apart what type of things cause delusions and hallucinations. When I trained as a psychiatrist, we were told that if you heard voices, you probably had schizophrenia. If you had a delusion, you probably had schizophrenia. So there's this kind of jumping to, to a conclusion that, um, that these symptoms were tightly linked to uh, psychosis. And, and the assumption was that they did not occur in the general population. However, if you look at other mental disorders, they do occur on a continuum. So there is serious depression, but we all get depressed. Depressed is, get, Getting depressed is part of everyday life. If you lose someone you love or have some bad news, you can get quite sad. And also being anxious is also a feature of everyday life. That's just completely understandable. To determine whether psychotic symptoms also occur on a continuum, John and his colleagues looked at individual experiences of hallucinations and delusions. We used very, very large international surveys where they interviewed tens of thousands of people in many countries. And everyone was asked... Have you ever heard a voice when no one else could hear it? Um, there's no voice around, or do you have these beliefs? 
What they found was that hallucinations and delusions are much more common than previously thought. So the first key finding, Donna, is that about 1 in 20 people had these experiences. And in particular, hallucinations were common. Um, people reported that um, they had, at one stage in their life, heard voices or seen things. But the key new element of our research is we asked people, well, how many times did that occur? And it turns out that most people that have these experiences just have them once or twice or a handful of times. So that allows us to fractionate out. There's a subgroup of the population where it's very transient and sporadic. They're not disabled. They don't seek help. They don't need to see a doctor. We don't need to treat them because they're going to get better. On the other hand, we also confirm that there's a small subgroup of the general population that seem to be hearing voices continually. And that makes us worry that they need help. Uh, and it may well be that we need to think again about um, the linkages between these symptoms and psychotic disorders. An unexpected result of the study was that hallucinations and delusions were more common in women. I was surprised that women uh, were uh, more likely to have these experiences because when you look at the full clinical disorder of schizophrenia, that occurs in men mm, more yeah. than women. Not a huge excess. So for, for every three men that have schizophrenia, uh, usually about two women have it. Now that flips around the other way when you look at anxiety disorders and depression, which are more common in women than in men. So that's an, an interesting dissociation between the isolated symptom, which is our new study, versus the full clinical disorder. In terms of the full clinical disorder, schizophrenia, John has spent many years researching about the non-genetic risk factors that can predispose people. Interestingly, not spending enough time in the sun might be one of them. This is work that I've done with my colleagues here at the Queensland Brain Institute, Daryl Isles and Tom Byrne, and also colleagues in Denmark. Um, so we had done a lot of epidemiology, and, uh, and the field had done a lot of epidemiology that showed that if you're born in winter and spring, you have a slightly increased risk of schizophrenia. Now, there was a running, running gag that it could be a star sign. Clearly, it's not <laughs> true, but, but um, we, we thought it could be due to prenatal infection. Maybe if you're born in winter, your mother is, is exposed, could have been exposed to a prenatal infection. So we're kind of thinking like rubella and German measles leading to altered brain development. But it struck us that vitamin D should be a candidate as well because that's the sunshine hormone. And even in sunny Brisbane, um, vitamin D levels drop during winter and spring due to our behaviour and lower ultraviolet radiation. So when we proposed this hypothesis many years ago, there was absolutely no evidence that vitamin D did anything at all to the brain. And um, so over the, over the last decade, uh, Daryl Isles and Tom Byrne have shown that that's wrong. In fact, if you look at animal models, you can disrupt brain development by taking out vitamin D. And what's really fascinating, Donna, is that what we see in the rodents experiments is that, that, that it cross-links with what we see in people with schizophrenia. Dopamine seems to be slightly altered. Uh, re re reaction to certain stressors and, and psychoactive substances tend to be different. So uh, then we needed to actually test the hypothesis by measuring vitamin D in, in stored biobank samples. Now, schizophrenia comes on in the 20s, and we needed samples, 20s or 30s, and we needed samples from uh, birth. So we went to Denmark, and they have kept neonatal blood spots, and we were able to measure vitamin D in these tiny samples 
of, of, of filter paper. And we showed a few years ago in 2010 that vitamin D concentration at birth did link to the risk of schizophrenia. And we've since replicated that. We haven't published that finding yet. But we're feeling pretty upbeat that this is a signal that at least in Denmark, that the babies that are born with low vitamin D have an increased risk of getting schizophrenia. And now this is a profoundly important finding because you can treat vitamin D um, deficiency. In fact, it's really easy to treat, safe, publicly acceptable. And this is the holy grail for researchers. Mm -hmm. If we can reduce the incidence of a disease like schizophrenia, then that's a good outcome. And that we're, we're um, following up these findings urgently and uh, doing a lot more work on trying to un unravel the mechanisms. So we're very excited about these discoveries. Skin colour was actually a big signal about the potential importance of vitamin D. People with darker skin produce more of a pigment called melanin. Melanin protects the skin against too much UVB exposure, which also means that it reduces the amount of vitamin D that the skin can produce. In cold countries like uh, the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, the UK, the dark-skinned migrants and the offspring of dark-skinned migrants are having really high risks of schizophrenia, tenfold. Now, that's a remarkable epidemic, essentially. And it could be due to other factors, such as stress. It could be due to substance use. Um, but it could well be that low vitamin D just contributes to uh, a subtle risk that uh, causes psychosis. So uh, in the Danish dried blood spot study, we found that the offspring of migrants tended to have lower vitamin D, just as we expected. You know, we've got a lot more work to do before we can say vitamin, low vitamin D causes schizophrenia. This is the, the nature of science. You, you get an idea and then you try to reject it. You try to knock it down. And we haven't been able to knock it down yet. But, you know, Donna, even, uh, even if low vitamin D contributes to a small fraction of those with schizophrenia, we think this is a really important one to follow up. And even if it doesn't help in everyone, um, it's going to help their, uh, with respect to schizophrenia, it's going to help their bones. We're pretty confident <laughs> about that. While the link between marijuana smoking and schizophrenia is well established, what's interesting is that there's also a link with ordinary cigarette smoking. Uh, James Scott and I and colleagues from the uh, School of Public Health published a study several years ago that linked age at first cannabis use and an increased risk of schizophrenia and these hallucinations and delusions as well. We did, a, we did that on a great study that Jake Nadjman and his colleagues have been running for many years, 30 years or so. It's called the MARTA University Study of Pregnancy. And uh, it follows a birth cohort. So many of your listeners may have seen documentaries like Seven Up where they follow kids every seven years. And Jake Nadjman and his team have been following up several thousand people for about 30 years. And we were able to ask them, when did you first use cannabis? And then we were able to look at their mental health uh, through various phases of young adulthood. Um, and when we did that study with cannabis, we, we did see some signals about tobacco. And it's very hard to pull apart because many people who use cannabis also smoke tobacco. So it was a bit of a perfect storm, not very easy to pull apart. Um, and then some of my colleagues in the UK and in Sweden started to worry that maybe tobacco could be a causal factor that could contribute independently mm. to the risk of psychosis. Now, that issue 
was kind of ignored for a while because we have a much, much bigger issue like that once you get schizophrenia, then you tend to smoke and you much harder to stop. So we, we know that schizophrenia and smoking are linked, but we always thought it was downstream. Schizophrenia comes first, then you smoke, and then you've got a problem because you find it very hard to stop. Um, but so we, we did a study in the um, Brisbane uh, cohort where we excluded those that had cannabis use and just looked at when, how old were you when you first started to smoke tobacco? And then was that associated with later psychotic experiences? Now, um, we found that it was associated with, say, um, some isolated psychotic experiences. The study was a little bit underpowered. We couldn't confidently say that it caused schizophrenia. So we published that. And around about the same time, there was a, a little cluster of studies from other countries, Sweden, uh, for example, and the UK, that were saying the same thing. So we're getting convergent evidence that maybe tobacco could contribute in a very small way, tipping someone over the edge into a psychotic illness. We don't need any more evidence to tell us that tobacco is bad. Okay? <laughs> Clearly, tobacco is bad. It causes a lot of cancers and cardiovascular diseases. It's just very, very bad. So we can now add probably mental illnesses to that, to that list as well. Now, we can prevent tobacco smoking but through public health measures, education, uh, plain packaging, taxes on, on these, sin taxes on these agents. And, uh, and in fact, in Australia, the rates of tobacco smoking are falling in many demographic groups, not as fast as we'd like in young women, unfortunately. So that's a clue. But going back to the Queensland Brain Institute, that clue can now allow us to cross-link with the work that people like Brian Mowry and Naomi Ray are doing here at QBI, because they, they have already found links in um, variants in genes that, that are involved in cholinergic receptors and nicotinic receptors. So these are the receptors that tobacco uh, work on. So there's a nice cross-link between genetic vulnerability and our new epidemiological finding that makes these pathways of greater interest. So we can, that's like a foot in the door for scientists. They can say, well, wait on, these candidate pathways need more scrutiny. And that's what we're following up now. very upbeat that, uh, that the work we're doing here at the Queensland Brain Institute will contribute to unravelling serious mental disorders. It's a great privilege to work here because we have so many smart people who know so much about the brain and I hope as a psychiatrist and an epidemiologist I can concede new ideas into the laboratories around this building here and I think that's a great testament to Perry Bartlett and our new director Punky Saar who I'm working with on some vitamin D research now that we can make these cross links and I think this is like the fertile intersection of, of great science and um, you know you hear about the Large Hadron Collider that kind of discovers subatomic particles. Well, I feel like this is a, a collider of, of neuroscience ideas. Great ideas can collide, and from some of those collisions, we can come up with new new discoveries about the brain. So, it's uh, it's great opportunity we have here at the Queensland Brain Institute. I'm Donald Liu, and that's all for this episode. Let us know what you think or if you have any requests for future podcasts. We're on Twitter at QBI underscore UQ and on Facebook, or you can give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.